Welcome to Machine Learning. I finished the hypothesis course, testing hypothesis on uh, DataCamp, and and uh, it was it was helpful to simplify how to calculate the p-value between uh, two, uh, like two groups, two items. But then we uh, did uh, multiple category where we had uh, two categories where they had uh, multiple values for the dependent variable and uh, used different uh, different types of tests. There was a z-score test, a, a t-test, a, uh, a non-parametric uh, non test called the Wilkson, Wilcox, Wilcoxian uh, algorithm, and most of these had libraries. I mean, I did calculate the z-score using standard deviation uh, and the and and the count and uh, value counts, and that was kind of helpful to stage the data, get it square using a pivot table, and then putting it into these. Uh, functions and then taking a look at the p-value to see whether or not I could reject the null hypothesis or that the there was strong support for the alter alternative hypothesis. Okay, so that's the math. How wh Where's the area where you can use, apply this and get some value? And that's what I've been really thinking about is, okay, now I know some statistics. Let's, uh, let's try to see if there's some areas where we can apply the the hypothesis testing to make decisions based on data support. Well, okay, in the case in point that they used is they wanted to know in the first case if uh, if pr programmers that started as children made more money than those who uh, started programming as adults. and. You would think that if you started younger, you'd have more experience. You'd have more experience with the language, more experience with the abstraction. But at the same time, you know, you're approaching and learning um, hard concepts, and maybe they're more academic concepts. You got to learn the, the notation. Uh, it's not just about uh, synthesizing the language to get it to do what you want. There's also the concepts of object-oriented programming, uh, parallel programming, etc. More advanced concepts that so you're going to be introduced fairly quickly as an adult. But the advantage of learning to program as a child is that you have more time to uh, get familiar with the concepts, try them out, learn by experience. Uh, you can buy books, but you don't have the same resources that you have as an adult, so you, you may not be uh, reading as advanced of books. But at the same time, I remember working on a project, and they were a group of programmers that were had been programming as a young since a young kid, just like myself, and had lots of experience with the language. And they were really good at creating very efficient code. Uh, not not a lot of verbose code. I remember we worked in C sharp, 
I mean, sorry, C++. And that was a big jump beyond C because C was very close to the assembler, and they liked the machine, so they wanted to write C code. And their code was at least 20 times faster than the C++. It was amazing the difference in the performance when I, I wrote the same code in C++. So I was using uh, uh, classes and instantiating classes versus uh, running uh, C structures and structs and, and enums and uh, macros written in, in assembler if, if we were working that close to the machine. So C was really pretty efficient in terms of how it was working. It didn't have to put information into virtual tables. It didn't have to uh, convert the C++ code into C code. And because of those factors, the C, C code was more efficient. It didn't have as much code, uh, machine code to, to have to process. And um, I I was always amazed that, that these guys were so good at writing the code. They understood the concepts I would talk to them about, and then they would translate that into the code, and their code would work, and it would be really fast, and, and um, it was um, impressive. So they had the experience, and so they, they at a fairly young age, they were working on projects, and then uh, our paths crossed in college, and we worked on a couple of projects, did well on them. And then later on, they just kept uh, improving on their skills and knowledge and, uh, and were able to get jobs and then, you know, higher-paying jobs. And I, and I would often attribute that to the amount of experience they had uh, and their comfort level in learning things that were new. Okay, so if we were if you apply that into statistics, you would then find out what the median uh, salaries were for programmers who began to program as children. So you you'd separate that into a true false uh, scenario and then count that up. So were they you know were they an adult or were they a child when they uh, had first began to program? And then uh, you would calculate a z-score, and then you would, from there, you could calculate a p-value. And it turns out that uh, children programmers did make there was enough uh, circumstantial evidence to suggest that they did make more than uh, adults who learned how to pro program as adults. And uh, and so that that becomes then was kind of an interesting case study. The other case study that I found interesting was what about late namers? Okay, so you have multiple types of uh, well, you, and, and again, you could tip, uh, you could have expensive objects, and then you could have reasonable objects, okay? So these would be 
products that are being shipped. So we look at, we're trying to make a guess whether or not the expensive or reasonably priced objects will be late in their shipment. Well, okay, so what does that mean? Expensive objects may use uh, more reliable carriers to ensure their prompt delivery on the um, the prompt delivery on their product, and so that would be the assumption: will expensive objects be delivered quicker? And uh, versus reasonable, and so you put that in, you separate it out. The way you would do it is you do a group by, and then you would do a value counts, and then we want to. Uh, uh, once you do the value counts, it'll break it into the occurrences of late or not late for each one, and then we would we would. Uh, want to build a data frame so we would uh, reset the index and then sort the index uh, by by the different categories okay and then w once we have that data we w can either put it in a data frame or we can uh, we can do the same thing in a pivot table you can unstack your you can unstack your multi index and that will flatten it out or you could do the same thing and build a pivot table then once we have that we can then feed that into our our libraries whether it's a z score library or a penguin library and that will then return a p-value, and based on that p-value, we can either uh, fail to reject the null hypothesis, which means the hypothesis was true, null hypothesis was true, or we can uh, accept the alternate hypothesis. Now, what I found that was kind of interesting is, like, let's say we don't have enough sample data to get the proper sample sizes to form a normal distribution. So let's say it's kind of uh, we can't really we can't really determine if we have a normal distribution because a lot of the hypothesis testing is based on the idea of a normal distribution, a Gaussian distribution, that kind of nice smooth bell curve. And you can bootstrap your data to make it, you know, look and fill in the gaps through some random sampling, and uh, if it if we determine okay if it's a tall distribution or a flat distribution or a normal distribution, we can even see if it's skewed to the right or skewed to the left. All these things to you know just kind of determine. But if it's a nice smooth distribution, then we can use the the t-test and the and the t-test. Uh, has degrees of freedom, and we can calculate those de degrees of freedom. And you know, once we know, if, if you get more 
degrees of freedom, then you're going to get closer to that normal distribution. But uh, when we're doing the testing, we, we can do a right tail test, we can do a left tail test, or we can do both. And it just, what they're trying to do is remove air in the uh, probabilities, where the probability um, is likely to fall, whether it's going to be on the left side of the distribution curve or on the right side, or it could be on both. And uh, and then they we could get more accurate uh, p-value. So that's what we're trying to do. So we're trying to measure, do we have an, uh, enough sampling? If we don't have enough sampling, we'll go to a, a non-parametric uh, method. <clears throat> I think one of the methods that I used was <clears throat> that we reduced the uh, probability uh, let's see, we reduce the standard error equation and got it down to uh, counts, and then we use the NOVA, ANOVA method for determining uh, probability of the p-values, and that was that was easier to do than calculating out the z-scores. And then we use the Wilcoxian uh, method for non-parametric, where you didn't have enough sample size to determine whether it was a normal distribution. Well, what does this tell me about how I can use this in business? Well, it tells me that what I can do is start counting things. Like I could count, look for areas where, you know, uh, that things could cost the company money, like late arrivals or backlogs on orders, and then start counting frequencies and see, you know, based on if I had the information in the data, such as, you know, maybe I would have to uh, set some ranges, like what I would consider expensive items. Maybe I could break the, the material uh, costing into 10 categories or something like that. I could build my own categories in the data. So there's some data engineering that I might have to do. And then based on that data engineering, then uh, try to calculate a p-value with some educated guesses about the data and see which which were true, and then do my test. Uh, I could do my test to see if I've got a uh, adequate number of samples to conclude that it, it has a, a normal distribution. And then based on that, I could then uh, apply my different tests for the null hypothesis. Now, how many, how many uh, guesses would you have to make before you could find something of value? Well, they do mention that one of the things to do is to go talk to an expert in that field and get kind of some general ideas about some of the conclusions or things that they might be interested in that have value in their work workflow. Then looking at the data, see if there's ways to uh, do these counts that might be able to tell us um, some information 
about whether or not certain things are true or false based on the hypothesis. So the scientific method is really quite interesting. It is, um, you're simulating domain knowledge. You're also finding out from people that are uh, have real world experience with getting work done, uh, how the data is relating to their lives. And then you're looking for uh, truths in the questions that you're asking based on probability. And so that's where I see kind of the, the value of hypothesis testing. Now I would probably say that hypothesis testing is also used in testing like in biology. You're, maybe you have a certain samples and you compare two samples. One of the things that they first started off with was A-B testing. And we did some uh, A-B testing, and then we looked at, uh, at the at the p-values on the A-B testing. And then we went again to these uh, late shipments, late payments. And then the final one that we concluded on was uh, voting for the Republican Party in the area for 2008 versus 2012 whether or not there were more voters that came out and voted for the party, their party or not, in 2008 versus 2012. So we did a comparison on the voter stats. And um, so you would think that, you know, maybe that was the an important pivotal year. I, thought, I know Trump came into power in 2016, so that's the one I would want to first uh, Analyze because you had the Democrats Democrats in power, and then you had um, then when Trump ran in, in 2016, is there evidence a probability that there were stronger Republican support in 2016 than there was in 2012? And if that was true, why wouldn't there be more support in his last election? Um, by the Republican Party to keep him in power if there was this trend of increasing probability that uh, sequential years would be more supported by the Republican Party. What was it that Trump did, if anything, that alienated his voter poll, uh, pool from voting for him and supporting him? So, again, we could look at the statistics, get the trend, then put that into a linear or a uh, ordinary least squares or even a Bayesian curve with uh, maybe a certain number, maybe a third-order Bayesian curve and um, or a numeric curve, a parametric curve, a third-order parametric curve, and then conclude that see if the trajectory was increasing and if it was increasing how could it be that Trump lost well you know I really think that the voting should move away from the electronic voting and go back to paper voting 